Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. Amen. Let's stand. And last Sunday, we celebrated the saints. And we tried to bring a message that would make you feel good about yourself. You should. You're faithful. You're overcoming. And I just want you to know that I believe in you. I really do. I believe in you as a congregation and as individuals. And I believe in you because the grace of God is at work in you. And if God has approved you, who am I to not believe in you? And so that's my criteria today. So I'm sort of in a maybe a little mini sermon series. Continue on this a little bit today. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 11. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. We sometimes call them the five-fold ministry. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. I mentioned to you last week that churches are closing, but God has helped us. We're building up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So drawing your attention, the responsibility, verse 12, of the fivefold ministry is to equip God's people to do His work. So, my subject today, by the help of the Lord, is simply entitled, Who Does the Ministry? Um, I, I, this doesn't really sound like good English, but let me say it this way. Who gets to do the ministry? I guess that's okay. Let me look at Dr. Larmy. He's an English major. Who gets to do the ministry? He gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> Amen. Turn to somebody and ask him, who gets to do the ministry? That's a good question. That's a good question. So we want to examine this question today as I continue to celebrate you and God's grace at work in your life. So everybody that's going to help me preach by saying amen at least one time may be seated. Amen. Wow, what a great summer crowd is here to, today. And we thank the Lord. I don't know if you realize it or not, but I have the greatest job in the world. I really do. You sweet people pay me to put you to work. If I was Yakov the evangelist, I'd say, what a country. All kidding aside, 
I try to take my job and my calling very seriously as a pastor of the Life Church. My job as a pastor of this local church, actually, let me rephrase that, I'm the under pastor because there's only one church and there's only one pastor and his name is Jesus. Amen. Let's clap our hands to Jesus. Let's celebrate Jesus. He's the pastor. He's the bishop of our souls. But as his under pastor, his under shepherd, I take my job seriously. And my first responsibility is to obey the Lord in everything. Not my wants, not my whims, not to obey my perhaps brokenness in my life, not to obey my shortcomings, my hang-ups, my habits, my hurts. I can't obey any of that stuff. I have to obey the Lord and always reach for the right thing. Turn to somebody and say, reach for the right thing. My second job is to watch for your souls. Watch for your souls. I can tell you that if I were to see you headed in the wrong direction, I would do my best to do my job and to pull you aside and to say, can we pray about this? Can we talk about this? That doesn't happen very often. For the most part, preaching and teaching and modeling takes care of a lot of those challenges that we face. My third job is to lead you and to feed you. And I like hamburgers and fries, but I also like good steaks and I like a good piece of fish, walleye or halibut or something once in a while. I hope that you feel like you're pretty well fed at the Life Church. I hope that you feel that when our preachers stand up here that we're not flying by the seat of our pants. We're not fast fooding. You're not just driving through, but we're studying, we're praying. Like the apostles who said, we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when you come to the Life Church, you're not going to hear book reports. You're going to hear the word of the Lord. You're going to hear the word of the Lord. My fourth job is to protect you, to protect this church from false doctrine, from false teachers, from any compromise in the word of God. We, we don't get our cues from the greater pale of Christianity. Most of them don't even believe that the Bible is the plenary inspired word of God. But we have a very high view of the scripture. This is our sole rule of faith. We will all answer to the Lord for how we handle this book right here. And how, and I will answer to God for how I handle this book. So my job is to protect you from false doctrine, false teachers. And uh, I remember one Sunday back at the horse barn, I had some guy come and preach. I'm going to apologize again for that. I, I, I had him sight unseen, 
I've never done that before or since on the recommendation of a friend who turned out to be a knucklehead. And I won't, <laughs> I won't go into that. This guy was a disaster. And you talk about a wet blanket. The service was moving. He got up. That service crashed and burned. And I was so glad when he put the microphone down. And I was kind, but I picked up the microphone and we turned the service into a prayer meeting. And the service began to spring up. And when people began to pray, I heard somebody yelling and screaming in the microphone. I thought, who is that? I looked over, that idiot was back in the microphone. He just killed something that I was trying to bring out of the grave. He knew he blew it because the friend that I took his recommendation told me a couple days later. He apologized. He said the guy knew he just messed up. I don't even know. That wasn't even in my notes. I don't even know why I thought about that. It was a total disaster. And so we try to protect the church. Are you thankful that we bring the brightest and the best? Come on, you're going to hear Bobby Wade. What a powerful man of God. And he's proven. And praise God, one bad Sunday in 34 years, that's not too bad of a, not too bad of a job. Amen. So we want to protect you. And my fifth job, last but not least, along with the other members of the fivefold ministry of our church, is to believe in you, to not give up on you, to equip, train, teach, model, and then inspire you to go to work for Jesus. To expand the kingdom of God. My privilege and responsibility as a member of the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is to equip you, invest in you, to believe in the body of Christ that's here across this sanctuary today, and to challenge you to do God's work so that together we can build up the church so that the church can turn around and impact the community. The fivefold ministry, we do our job by teaching, preaching, training, modeling. But there's more. The biggest and the best thing that the fivefold ministry can do after training and equipping us to do God's work of building up the church is actually to inspire you, empower you, and then release you to go do something for God. The Life Church today, you are not in a spectator church. You are in a participator church. You are not in a traditional Pentecostal church today where we come to church three times a week, pay our tithes, and sing in the choir. We don't even have a choir today, in case you didn't notice. We had an amazing worship set by our praise team and vertical praise. <laughs> amazing. My job 
is to inspire you to go change the world one person at a time. Do what you can. Use your gifts. Use your Holy Ghost. Did you know that the Holy Ghost is a lot of things? It's a comforter. It's our eternal hope. It's our justification. Paul said that we're justified by the infilling of the Spirit. But don't miss this. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit wants to go on adventure. Did I ever tell you about the $1 bill and the $20 bill? I'm telling you again because I'm old and I repeat myself. So they're being decommissioned and they're going down the conveyor belt at the Mint and they're all worn out. The $20 bill and the $1 bill, they're going down the, they're going down the conveyor belt side by side and they know this is the end. And the $1 bill looks over at the $20 bill and says, Dude, where all have you been in your life? He said, Man, I've been to the Taj Mahal. I've been to the Eiffel Tower. I've been to the Grand Canyon. I've been to Disney World 25 times. The $1 bill said, man, that's awesome. $20 bill said, where all have you been? He said, oh, I go to church. <laughs> that's not really my offering sermon today. I already gave you that. But here's what I want to know. Do you have $20 worth of the Holy Ghost or do you have a $1 worth of the Holy Ghost? Are you just, your Holy Ghost, all it does is take you to church once a week or twice a week or three times a week and, and we give our offering and then we go through our motions and we did it one more time? Or do you have a $20 bill of the Holy Ghost that gets to go places, that gets to do things, that gets to pray for people and teach Bible studies and, and lay hands on the sick and, and speak a word of, of hope and faith? And, and does your Holy Ghost ever get to confront evil and come against darkness? Hallelujah. Amen. And challenge the culture. Come on. Am I preaching to a spirit-filled church that's got a $20 bill that wants to go on adventure? There's two great offers of obeying the gospel. And the first one is to take care of your sin problem. And it's a problem. And the only way you can take care of your sin problem is to obey the gospel. And that gospel is according to Peter on the day of Pentecost. Repent. That means turn. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The water's right there. For the remission of your sins. Let me tell you that at the Life Church, baptism isn't just a splash party. At the Life Church, baptism isn't just, you know, something that you do publicly because it's cool. Baptism is more to do with remitting sins and washing away sins and it's a new testament equivalent of old testament circumcision and you couldn't be in the covenant in the old testament without circumcision i'm going to tell you that baptism at the life church is a big deal and it's urgent and we don't stack them up every six months if you're stacking up your baptisms it doesn't mean anything but if somebody today gets under conviction and says i want to repent of my sins i've got to be baptized we're going to baptize you today 
today because baptism is urgent and you can't be saved without it. Are you glad you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins? And then Peter said, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We don't just give that lip service at the Life Church. If the Holy Ghost fell in some of our churches in Kansas City today, they'd probably call the health department. They wouldn't know what to do with it. But we believe in people receiving the Holy Spirit. And the biblical evidence, the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit is not goosebumps and like warm oil and like you're walking on a cloud and all of those things are great and fine and wonderful. But the initial evidence, according to the biblical text, is to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enables you to do that. That's not weird. That's biblical. And it is the privilege of every baptized believer. It's a promise. So... Jesus, as the author and finisher of our faith, he's the one who invented the church. He taught us how to get in the church and then how to be the church and how to do church. Notice Jesus' leadership style. As the leader of his disciples, um, Jesus was not a dictator. Jesus was not a control freak. Jesus was not a micromanager. He was not a police officer. These are all leadership models you'll find certain places. He was not a cult leader. He was not a prison warden. Jesus' leadership style was that he did not demand perfection, but he allowed his followers to try. Go for it. Experiment. When you're following Jesus, it's okay to not be perfect. Isn't that amazing? The only perfect man that ever lived doesn't demand perfection. He just wants you to get a relationship with him and study him and read his word and be filled with his spirit so that you can get his DNA and so that you can stop the madness and cut the junk out and get everything that's not like Jesus out of your life. That's a lifelong journey, isn't it? That's a lifelong process. Jesus believed in his followers. Jesus always believed in the best in people. You would almost have to kill Jesus for him to stop believing in you. And even when they did that, he came back from the dead to the very ones that tormented and crucified him. He forgave them he washed their sins away. He filled them with his spirit. And he sent them on the great commission with the words, go make disciples. 
Think about that. Some of those people that said, crucify him. 50 days later, being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and now they're on the mission. What a Savior, right? What an amazing God to turn his enemies into his followers. Wow. Jesus believed in the best in people. For example, when a woman was taken in the act of adultery, he didn't call her in the office and interrogate her. Instead, he protected her. He defended her. He couldn't defend the sin that she committed, but he could defend her physical person. She was being threatened. There was legalist people around her that had stones to stone her. They, it really wasn't about her. It was about Jesus. And, and the law says that she should die. What do you say? And Jesus was so awesome. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone. One by one, they walked away. Woman, where are your accusers? She said, I don't have any. He said, I'm not going to condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. What a savior. He pictured a sinless future. He, do you, let me ask you a question. Do you think she ever went back to that sin again in her life? Do you think she ever fell to that? Oh, no. Why? Because Jesus put an expectation on her. And I'm telling you that your Savior who cleaned up your life, who pulled you out of the gutter, amen, who delivered you from every vile sin you can think of, he believes in the best in you because the best in you is his grace that is at work right now. And he is not here as your judge to condemn you, but he's here to believe in your future and to release Release you into amazing future and say, neither do I condemn you. What a savior, people. What a savior. Don't take wrongful advantage of that, but let it inspire you and motivate you to please him, to serve him. When he cast the legion of demons out of the man of Gadara, Jesus didn't hang around for a photo op and glory and his amazing power. He wouldn't even honor the man's request to accompany him and be his miracle poster boy. Instead, Jesus sent him back to his home area. Go tell your story. Go tell your story. You're going to be okay. You were tormenting people. You were naked. You were cutting yourself. You were, you were harming yourself, but now you're clothed and in your right mind. Go tell your story. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder. Go tell your story. Go set up the revival. The apostles are coming. At the Last Supper, Jesus looks into the face of his betrayer, Judas. He says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And then at the moment of betrayal, with a cold kiss still on his cheek, Jesus looks at this betrayal person and says, Judas, friend, why have you come? He's still reaching for him. Judas, even though you've done this, you can still have a turnaround. When the kiss dries, you can go out with Peter and weep bitterly. He lied and cried and denied, and so did you. But you can have a turnaround. What a savior. Kindness, Christ-like goodness, 
will never go out of style. And the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, this world is going to become more violent. It's going to become more angry. It's going to become more anti-God, anti-Christ, and the church of the living God who will not buy into it, who will not act like it, but we will be Jesus Christ in this world. And we won't stop believing in the angry people. We won't stop believing in the broken people. We are the only hope of the world because the hope of the world abides within us. Jesus Christ and the power of deliverance and the power of the cross and the power of the name and the power of the blood is the only thing that will set people free in this world. So go! Do your ministry. Go do it. Come on, go be Jesus. Who gets to do the ministry? We get to do the ministry. Who gets to lay hands on the sick? We get to lay hands on the sick. Who gets to cast out devils? We get to cast out devils. Who gets to go to the hospital and pray for people? Who gets to teach sinners, the unconverted, the unredeemed, those who have not yet obeyed the gospel? Who gets to teach them the word of God? We do. Somebody say, we do. Who gets to do the ministry? You just blessed me. Who gets to do the ministry? I just felt my load lift right there. Who gets to do the ministry? Huh? Shout it. Again. Again. We get to do the ministry. And God will back you up. His power will back you up. The gospel will work. We get to do the ministry. We get to do it. We get to do it. Let me tell you something. The gospel works. You that have been around here a while, you know the story well. When I was called to preach, the Lord told me that I would preach the gospel in five continents of the world. And God would use me in the healings of the mind, the soul, and the body. And now, 46 years later, I can say it's come to pass. My wife and I traveled first time ever out of the country. Even though we'd been to Arkansas a couple times and she grew up there. <laughs> and actually we'd been to Canada. That doesn't count. And so we go to India. And we traveled 25 hours and then we drove five hours. And there's no nice road in India. We bounced like tennis balls for five hours. Next morning, our host says, you want to go preach to the tribal people? I'm like, sure. Never met tribal people. I should have brought pictures. 
I didn't even come to talk about this. I just feel led of the Lord right now. And so we get in a Jeep. We travel an hour and a half, go up this mountain. And we're literally off the road and we're on the Jeep. And foliage is beating us, the open Jeep. And we finally get to this clearing. I don't know, it's maybe like a three-acre clearing. And there's brick, rather mud brick huts with grass-thatched roofs. Something right out of National Geographic all around us. And I'm looking at mothers who are carrying babies. And they don't have hardly any teeth in their head. I mean the mothers, not the babies. And they're illiterate. And they don't know their, how to spell their name. They don't know how old they are. They don't know what their birthday is. And we were told that just a few months prior that they had sacrificed a 14-year-old girl, slit her throat, shed her blood. And when my friend asked the tribal king why he did this, he said, for the remission of sins. We took the life of innocent child to remit our sins. Even demonic possessed people know that they need remission. They know that there's a cloud, that there's a, there's a, there's a sentence hanging over them. And, and, and they got the... The innocent dying for the guilty part, right? They just didn't get the right sacrifice. And, uh, and so I'm thinking, Lord, what am I going to preach to these people? I'm a Bible college graduate. Forget all the lessons and the theology. And, and what am I going to say to these people? And suddenly the Lord says, hello, tell them about my sacrifice at Calvary. So I start Preaching from Hebrews, there is no more sacrifice for sin. You don't have to take the life of your children. You see, even the police could not stop the sacrificial killing in the tribe. They went to my missionary friend and said, what can you do about this? The police couldn't stop it. They knew it was going on, but they couldn't stop it. But here came a preacher and his wife from Kansas City. You helped us to go, and we go to this nasty, dark tribal, demon-infested. Their babies were dying. Their crops were failing. But we gave them the message of Jesus Christ. And the king began to cry. And the king decided, his name was uh, Rajan, that he was going to get baptized. And he did. And when the king gets baptized, everybody else gets baptized. Praise God. Whether they know their birthday or not. Now they got a birthday in the kingdom of God. And the baby stopped dying. And the crops started springing up. And the sacrifices stopped. And Christ came because the gospel works. And we get to do that. You can be sitting at a Starbucks or a McDonald's. Or a cafeteria in a hospital with your Bible open or your device with the Bible. And you can be sharing to someone who's broken and battered and busted and disgusted. And say what Jesus did for me, he can do for you. Let me tell you something. What happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Kansas City is more important than whatever happens here on Sunday. Because when we leave here, we get to do the ministry. What a savior. Jesus wasn't interested in just attracting followers. He wasn't interested in just getting a big crowd together so he could tweet how many showed up at church. 
In fact, he let a crowd walk away one day because he could never reach the world with the crowd that came on Fish and Chips Sunday. That's an attraction model. That's not what the Life Church is. We have programs, children, youth, celebrate recovery. By the way, what time is that service Saturday, Paul? 12 o'clock noon. Thank God for Celebrate Recovery, doing the work of the ministry. This Johnson Field family, their 18-year-old son was tragically shot and killed a few days ago. Thank God, Brother Gary, he was baptized in the name of the Lord and filled with the Spirit. Come on, we ought to thank God for that. Why? Because somebody was out doing the work of the ministry. And if you can be here Saturday at noon, this family is a part of our church. They're not here today, but they're a part of our church, and let's just come and love on them. Let's just come and love on them and support them and, and do the ministry. And uh, so Jesus, he, he wasn't interested in just attracting followers, but he really wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And we've got programs, you know, like I said, children, youth, recovery, counseling, you know, singles, single again, you know, discipleship, connect groups, all these things we try to do. But the Life Church is not really an attraction model church. We don't want to just, you know, have big event days. Because at the end of the day, you have nothing to show for it. But we're on the mission to go make disciples. And that's what Jesus told us to do. Go make disciples. And not against all of that stuff. But the real mission is to leave this house and go do the work of the ministry. Jesus' end game was always to inspire and enlighten, engage and empower those. So that they could do something significant for the kingdom of God. If Jesus had a missional mantra, it would probably have to be John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do. He's going to do. And greater works than these he will do. And then I'm out of here. When Jesus said, follow me. What a powerful invitation. Would you say that with me? Follow me. Matthew 9, 9. Jesus said, follow me. What was he saying? He's saying, act like me. Walk like me. Talk like me. Be like me. Do what I do. Say what I say. If I say it, say it. If I do it, you do it. If I don't do it, don't you do it. Huh? Boy, I could have a Bible study on that right now. My glasses keep fogging up. If I say it, you say it. If I don't say it, don't you say it. Follow me. You know, 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? WWJD sold a lot of T-shirts and bracelets. And, you know, I want to come up with one. WWJND. What would Jesus not do? If he does it, you can do it. If he doesn't do it, don't do it. Huh? 
Can I just be pastoral for a minute right now? Treat people like Jesus. I know that's not exactly an original thought, but it's a good idea. If Jesus doesn't say that, don't say that. Don't treat people like that. And you know what else? Why don't you take a break from social media about telling everybody how much in love you are with somebody and why don't you just start acting like it and why don't you just take a break from social media, get your marriage right, get your children right, get your family right, come on. You know, you know what? Let me just give you, a, I, I may look stupid, but I'm not stupid. And people that are always hugging up and bragging about how much, I'm not talking about wedding anniversaries and stuff like that. How much they're in love and all this, they're making up, they're compensating for what is really not happening. But it's the people that are really committed, that treat each other right, that aren't telling the whole world. Am I making anybody nervous right now? I can't pastor Facebook. I can't pastor it. But what if for third, what if the next 30 days we forgot about all that stuff and we started publicizing what we're doing for the work of the ministry? What if we started sharing the Bible studies we're teaching and the people we baptized and the lives, the people we prayed for and God healed them? Come on, let's use social media for the kingdom. Let's advance the mission. Man, I had a therapeutic moment right there. Say, Pastor, was that for me? Well, if the shoe fits, where? I might have been preaching to myself right there. Everybody okay? Well, that was sort of refreshing. Praise God. What would Jesus not do? So how good of a job did Jesus do in making disciples who imitated him. Look at Acts 4.13. Jesus is dead. He's buried. He's rose again. He sent the Holy Spirit. Peter and John are out on the streets doing ministry. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were unlearned, ignorant men. They took knowledge of them that what? <laughs> They've been with Jesus. Annas looked at Caiaphas and said, didn't we kill Jesus? Oh, yeah, we killed him. Well, now we got two more just like him. We should have let Jesus live. We just deal with the one. Now we got two. This is how it works, people. When you pray to him, when you read his word, when you look at him, when he's your model, when he's your example. That's why we say all the time at the Life Church, if it's not about Jesus, it's not about nothing. It's not about me. I'm not the goal. Get your eyes off of me. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. If he did it, go do it. Jesus said, the things that I'm doing, you're going to do, and greater things than these shall you do. Let me tell you something. He wasn't just saying that to the fivefold ministry. He was saying that to the fivefold ministry, and the fivefold ministry is saying that to the church. If Jesus did it, you can do it. You've got the power for miracles. You've got the power of wonders and signs. Come on. You've got the power to cast out devils. Come on. Hallelujah. I was at a camp meeting this week in Des Moines, Iowa, and I had everybody come forward that had pain in their body. And there was about, I don't know, 15 people. 
I didn't have the preachers pray for them. I had the teenagers. I had these kids come up and pray for them. They laid hands on them. Every one of them testified that when they prayed, the pain left their body. And then those that needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they came up. The preachers didn't pray for them. The saints of God laid hands. And God filled seven with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You've got that power. You can do the ministry. Everybody said amen. amen. Just about everything you need to know about Jesus the leader. You will find encapsulated in Luke chapter 10. And this is my last point today. So I've given you hope that I'm closing. Jesus trains the 12. Then he trains, what would that be? 58 more. And he sends out the 70. They go into all these villages and hamlets where Jesus would come. I love it. And he didn't go with them. <laughs> he wasn't looking over their shoulders. Uh, Peter, <laughs> you didn't quite get that one right. No, just go do it. See what happens. Give it a shout. Just jump off. Just launch. Just go. He sends them out. He trains them the best he can. You know, at some point, you've taught all you can teach. You've trained all you can train. you model all you can model. You just got to go do it. On the job training. So they go out there. And he tells them, send out your peace. If the son of peace receive you, I've taught you what that means. That's the leader of the family, the one that's not fighting against God. He's the influencer. Jesus said, if he receives you, stay there. If he doesn't, shake the dust off your feet and move on. I love that about Jesus. Don't waste your time. Don't cast your pearls before swine. If they're not ready, they're not ready. Move on. Don't waste your time. And uh, they come back. And Jesus has a little intake, a little staff meeting. How'd it go, guys? Oh, Jesus. We cast out devils. We healed the sick. It works. Jesus said, yeah, that's great. I knew it would. But he said, don't rejoice because devils were subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's really the biggest thing. That's really the big deal. And, you know, he didn't take anything away from them. He celebrated what they did. In fact, the Bible says in that same hour, this is what you need to know about Jesus. In that same hour, he rejoiced I looked up the word rejoiced again just because I couldn't believe it again here's mild-mannered always in control Jesus let me do for you attempt to do for you what the word rejoiced means this is what Jesus did yeah Woo! I looked it up <laughs> he jumped for joy and I think he probably put a shout with it. But why does the Bible say in the same hour? Why didn't he do it right there? I don't know. Maybe he thought, oh, where's my office? I got to get to my office. You see, this is an experiment. 
I'm, I'm launching something really big. I got to find out if it's really going to work. And these people don't even have the baptism of the Holy Ghost yet. And they're not even baptized in my name yet. I got to see if it's going to work. And finally, when he gets in his office and he closes the door, he's going, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This thing is going to go. Wait till Pentecost comes. Wait till the Holy Ghost comes. Wait till water baptism in the name of Jesus comes. It's, they're going to be on steroids. It works. And I want you to know the kingdom power works. It'll work in your neighborhood. It'll work at your neighbor's kitchen table. It'll work at a fireside chat. It'll work in a baseball field. It'll work on a golf course. I just love that about Jesus. He celebrated. He didn't say, well, bless God. Wait, I am God. If I didn't lay hands on them, they didn't get healed. No, he's like, you go do it. If you get that, you get Jesus. And if you get that, you get the life church. Go do the ministry. This is not a controlled operation. This is not a lockdown operation. You don't have to have a PhD in fiddle DD and do re me to go do the work of the ministry. You don't have to understand the Melchizedek order of the priesthood. You don't have to understand what happened to the, to the scapegoat that was sent out in the wilderness by a fit man. You don't have to be able to quote the books of the Bible. There's just a few things you got to know about making disciples. The first thing is to model the behavior of an overcoming life and bring something to the table that they don't have and be salt and light and they're going to be hungry and they'll obey the gospel and be saved who gets to do the ministry <laughs> so don't raise your hand but I want to ask some questions today if you've ever taught someone a Bible study, you're a champion. You're doing the ministry. If you've ever facilitated a connect group with an attempt to make more mature believers, you're my hero. If you've ever went to a hospital or someone's home to pray for the sick that they would recover. You're doing the work of the ministry. If you call me, I'll be happy to come, but I don't have to go. That's what I, I think that's what Jesus was really rejoicing about. I didn't have to do all that. Just kidding. I thought about that the mind of a pastor. I have it on a good, good resource that occasionally Jesus would slip out to Caesarea and watch the chariot races just so he could see something go that he wasn't pushing. I'm just kidding. I just made that up. But that's what he was excited about is the multiplication of his ministry. You know, everything I preach today, I do it. I could do it. But what if I'm the only one doing it? We're never going to reach our city. You go do it. You go do it. Try it. 
have an adventure. Come back, pastor. Devils were cast out. They received the Holy Spirit. Joyce Sims, you did ministry this week. You went to this family that suffered the loss of this dear 18-year-old boy. You brought him a gift. You prayed for them. You did the work of the ministry. You know what? Your life's not perfect. You've got burdens of your own. You've got challenges in your life. We all do. But you're my hero. You're my heroine. Because you put all that aside. And you went and loved on somebody and encouraged somebody. Thank you for that. Let's thank God for the work of the ministry. Would you stand with me? I got really real today. I know I'm probably going to go home and get beat up for all the things that I said today, but it is what it is. I just want to inspire you to go be Jesus. He's with you. You've got the power. You have what it takes. In the next seven days, let's see what we can do for the work of the ministry. Brother Les, you've probably baptized 40 or 50. You brought them to the water. You did your best to disciple them. We can't micromanage people. All we can do is lead them to the water. Huh? I don't know the last time I baptized somebody. Because in the book of Acts Church, the believers baptized their disciples. And I'm going to confess to you today, for the first time in about 12 years, I don't have an active disciple right now. I'm building relationships. I'm being intentional, but I'm being in a Bible study, in, in a focused spiritual conversation. It bothers me. I don't like it. I'm not modeling the behavior that I want to see reproduced that I have for so many years. It might have something to do with the fact that I've been at five camp meetings in the last six weeks. Maybe. There's no excuse. Nobody gets a pass from the mission. I'm on the mission. I'm on the mission. And I want to make disciples. If you are willing in the next seven days to look around, don't worry about you. Don't make it all about you. You're going to make it about somebody else. You're going to have a there you are attitude. Like Jesus did in John 1:47 when he saw Nathaniel. He said, There you are, Nathaniel. I see you. Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no God. And he calls him. What could you do in the next seven days to impact a life? Daniel and Marissa, thank you for 
having a dinner plan today with your neighbors just to be kind just to have fellowship and maybe the Lord will open a door in some way praise God are you glad you're in a church today where the fivefold ministry doesn't get to have all the fun <laughs> you get to have the fun of ministry would you lift your hands right now in the presence of God and just let the spirit of Jesus come over you I've been preaching Jesus for the last 45 minutes let Jesus come and give you his ministry let Jesus come and multiply himself through you right now let this be a turning point let this be a turning point come on I believe in the best in you and he knows you better than I do and he believes in the best in you what are you waiting for go ahead Go ahead. Go make a difference. Go make disciples. Go lay hands on the sick. Go teach the word. Go cast out devils. Go ahead and be magnificent. Go ahead and be powerful. And then come back in here on Sunday and we're going to rejoice and jump for joy and shout and dance and thank God for the ministry, the work of the ministry that's happening. <laughs> Let me just, okay, this is a big risk. In the last seven days, if you've done something to impact someone else for God, would you just raise your hand right now? Look at this. Oh, wow. See, we're not living for ourselves. Almost half this congregation, baby, raised their hand. Come on, God's calling you today to the ministry. He's calling you today. Every one of you are full time. Wherever you go, Jesus said, as you go, make disciples. Amen. Let's pray for our city right now. Lord, we're praying for our city. We're praying for our city, Lord, that's so broken. There's so much violence and anger and pain in our city, oh God. Oh, come on, let's get a burden for our city. Let's love our city. We're in the heartland of America. God's got big plans for Kansas City. He's got big plans. Come on, let's go do the ministry. Let's go do the ministry. Let's go do the ministry. Let's go. Let's go. Are you gonna go to heaven by yourself? Are you going to take somebody with you? Are you going to be a one and done? Or are you going to make somebody just like you? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Lord, this is not a spectator church. This is a participator church. Lord God. We come in here, not for pep talks, but we come in here, amen, for alignment and assignment and go do the work of the ministry, oh Lord, when we leave this place in the next seven days. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.